You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Good morning, TFC. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please open them to Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 27. Today, we're going to talk about what it truly means to follow Jesus. I hope that you open your ears and your heart and your mind, and that you really listen to what God says in this passage and what he wants to say to you in particular and how he wants you to change. Let's pray and let's ask God to move in your heart through his word and his spirit. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We ask that you would teach us what it truly means to follow you, Jesus, that you would open our ears, our eyes, our hearts, and that we would truly listen to your word and be changed by it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read Luke chapter nine, verses 23 through 27. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. You can go back and listen to the past few messages on the context of this situation. In the storyline of Luke, as we teach through the book, we are just taking what Luke says next. The book is part of the greater story of God, which is God's redemptive story in which the gospel is the focus and Jesus is the hero. The book of Luke is just that this part of that story, which includes the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. That's just the part of the greater story that we are in now. Then Acts and the epistles will be next, which is the church. This next part of the story, which we find will be the story of the church. But prior to that, it's Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection and ascension. The next in the story is again, the church. So if you're sitting there saying this over and over, this is over and over the story of Jesus showing that he is the Christ, you're right. And that was Luke's intent because that was God's intent, because that's what is in the time period that we're focusing on that Jesus had to establish. And that's the foundation of salvation. That is the purpose of this book, plain and simple. And not only did God make, uh, choose to make one book about it, he chose to make four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So if you're saying, I don't need it anymore, you're not in line with God's heart. That's how much we need it, that he made four books. We needed it that often and that much. Uh, That's how much God decided you needed the same story. This is part of the greater story, but this is where it's Jesus's turn to enter in and to show himself to be the Christ and to do the work of salvation. That is simply the section of the bigger story that we are in with all four gospels. We don't need to see anything new. We don't need to go uh, further. We don't need any, any greater words than this. We need to go deep and we need to treasure Christ. That's God's intention here, to treasure the author and perfecter of our faith. Hebrews 12, two says, looking at Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy who was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's 
the focus here. We don't need life lessons. We don't need deeper understanding of anything else. We need deeper understanding of Christ. We need deeper understanding, treasuring of gospel-saturated, Christ-exalting, God-centeredness in our Christianity. It's not about you. It's about him. That's not the only time right now on Sunday mornings that you can read your Bible. So I pray that as you read your Bible every morning, which I hope that you're doing, and as you're memorizing scripture for the very sake of your life, that it's being led back to the center of the message, which is found in the gospels once again, which is why we need four of them. Think God doesn't repeat himself over and over. Meditation and marination is better than expedition because that's how we behold his glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. When we behold, we are transformed. That's what we're doing in all four Gospels. And that's why God is repeating himself into the same image of one degree of glory to another. That's into the image of Christ. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So, Today, in this passage, again, you can go back and listen and catch up on the context and the situation of where we find ourselves in, in the purpose and the storyline, but it has been settled. He is the Messiah. That's what's happened. And he left off by saying what that really means, what he must really do, and in what he truly means that he is the Messiah, what it truly means for him to be the Messiah and what it means he must do. And what it doesn't mean is health and wealth and prosperity for Israel. And what it does mean is suffering for being the truth of God. And what it really means is rejection for being the truth of God. And what it really means is murder for being the truth of God. And what it really means is resurrection in the power of God. And all of this will accomplish Christ's only purpose, which is salvation of souls for the glory of God, period. That's his purpose, his only purpose. And that's what his purpose is for us. Therefore today, since this is who he truly is, and this is what he must truly do, forget about the whole, he's gonna give his health, wealth, and prosperity to Israel, and them wanting to make him this earthly, meaningless, temporary king for what they wanted to get out of life and their image among the other nations, that's a joke. This is who he truly is. And if this is who he truly is, this is what he must truly do, rejection, death, and resurrection, then what do you think it means to truly follow him? If this is what he truly must do, and this is who he truly is as the Messiah, then what do you think it means to truly follow him? To make it clear, this is who he really is. This is what it really means. Therefore, this is what it really means to follow him. That's the flow of thought. And this is the time of the story in the Bible that it is made clear what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. That's where we are. And that's what's being exposed. If we were to take this passage away from the greater story, that's what would be missing. The official establishment of what it means to follow Christ. This is Jesus's first discussion in Luke about the cost of discipleship. And I'm willing to bet that it doesn't line up with what you've been told or what you want to be true or how you may be living currently. The question is, will you, will we conform our Christianity to Christ's definition of it? Will we conform our Christianity to Christ's definition of it? It's pretty clear. Jesus is saying, if this is who I am and this is what I must do, this is what it really means then to follow me. Like, do you think it's going to be any different? Following me means following me. And this isn't for just the apostles only. This is for us. This is for every Christian who walks the face of the earth. Your life is not an exception. You don't rise out of the biblical and scriptural requirements. So it's probably best that we do not ignore his words here or forget them or pretend like they don't exist. We're not gonna rush through this section because I really don't care how long this book takes us. I care about biblical faithfulness. And God inspired difficult 
texts and difficult books because there are 10,000 things under the surface of a word, of a phrase, of a sentence, of a verse, of a passage, of a chapter, of a book. That inherently comes with those particular items. That's not just me being the type of pastor who is just extra careful and wanting to explain more. That's the only way to do it because that's what matters. We can't explain something without explaining literally what comes with it, without proper hermeneutics, without the history, the, the relation to the greater story, the exegesis, the systematics truths, the gospel centrality, and the intended application. That's literally inherently what comes along with a passage. Any explanation without that is not the explanation of that passage. It's just giving a few insights and pointers on how to be better. So it's not my style, it's biblical exposition that we must be in for and that God must fit us for. Will God give us the endurance and the capacity and the stamina and the understanding to see it and to behold it and to be transformed by it? The only way to do this is for us to go through it and in it and deep into it to understand the true meaning of it, which is slow and steady. And God uses it as we take it in deep and are transformed as we behold the glory of his word. So we sometimes will gain a unhealthy distaste for healthy food. So we pray that we won't uh, gain an, uh, that healthy food won't be too distasteful for us. So we'll go and look and find junk food. Second Timothy chapter four, verses one through five, Paul's words to Timothy. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And those myths that we see in that passage sound a lot, more like Jesus's message than you think. They're half-truths that include his name. So let's be humble. Let's be thankful for his word. Let's be thankful that we get his word and that we want to hear his word and that we get the gospel repeatedly over and over again, that God wrote four of them for us to go deep into it. We don't need to rush through it. There's no point. We can read other passages in our own time, in our Bible, in our morning devotions. This is what we need to do is go deep into Jesus's life, which is the centerpiece of our faith. We need to listen to his word more than we need to speak to it. And we're going to cover one major thought each time as we take this section, this particular section, verses 23 through 27, we're going to take one thought each time. So this is going to kind of be like a mini series, sort of like what we did with the soils section. This is too dense to go fast. We don't need to. We don't need, there's no point. We don't need, we need to go deep not fast. And each of these is too important. You can and should read more Bible in your own time. This shouldn't be your only one time of spiritual intake per week. Therefore today, and as the weeks come, we're going to go slow and steady through this so that we can take it in. So today, to start the first part of this mini series, again, coming out of the declaration of who Jesus is and what that means he must suffer and accomplish, just logical flow. Now, this is what it really means then to follow him. So we're gonna talk about today from verse 23 alone, three aspects on the biblical perspective of coming after Jesus. Three aspects on the biblical perspective of coming after Jesus, what it really means. Notice the four in all of this connection in this passage. If you read the passage again, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Verse 24, look at this, four, here's a reasoning. 
For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For, here's another one, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits his soul? Verse 26, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him will the son of man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of his father. And so what we see here, noticing these words for, is that this first passage is connected to each subsequent thought. Therefore, all of the rest of this passage is the support or the grounds of today's definition of the cost of discipleship. All of the rest of this is either the support or the grounds for today's definition of the biblical perspective of what it means to come after Jesus. The word for, like the word therefore, or like the word so, or like the word but, or like the word and, are connectors. They're connector thoughts, and they are entirely important when you read your Bible that you pay attention to it. So we're gonna find support and grounds in the subsequent messages of this mini series. And today, the start of it, the biblical perspective of coming after Jesus. What does that involve? Three aspects. Number one, what we see in our passage that it involves denying yourself. That's what the biblical perspective is of following or coming after Jesus. It involves denying yourself. Here's what he says in verse 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. They are outside of Galilee at this moment, at the foot of Mount Hermon. This is the same scene that we read last week. It's, it's the same scene. It's right after. It's what was exposed was the crowds do not claim that he is the Christ. The disciples do. And Peter and the disciples are told to tell this to no one because the Jews did not embrace him as the Christ, but they also could not deny his power. And therefore, even in not believing in him, they still wanted to make him king. And John 6 tells us about this. This is the same scene right after the feeding of the 5,000. It says, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, which by the way, are the same people that don't believe in him as the Christ. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is right after the feeding of the 5,000, which is what we just read about a few weeks ago. Israel's establishment, power, and affluency, that's what they want out of Jesus. But Jesus talks about in verses 21 through 22, which we looked at last week, what being the Christ really entails. And so this is directly in relation to, I'm not here to be popular, to be cheered on here on earth, to be supported and voted in by the people for benefits and recognition. I am here to be sorrowful, to be quiet, to stay focused on my mission with a heart of love that I have to suffer, that I have to be rejected, that I have to be killed and I have to be raised because my goal is salvation of souls for the glory of God. That's it all day long. This is what it means to be the Messiah. And this is what I have to do. And this is what it will really mean, true biblical perspective now, as we flow into our verse, what it will mean to follow him. The biblical perspective of the Messiah is not health and prosperity to serve your needs or your power. So now, verse 23, if you are going to be my follower, if you are going to come after me, if you are going to be the same, you will follow in my steps what it really means to come after me. This is the biblical perspective, and this is just fitting. If this is who I am and this is what I must do, then this is what you will be following, period. So Jesus immediately follows up his announcement of the cross with the announcement of his followers' cross. That's the immediate uh, application for them right after. This is who I am, and here's the announcement of my cross, and with that, the announcement of the followers' cross. This won't atone for sin with the followers' cross, like Jesus' cross. It will not atone for sin. This will instead be the faith that connects one with his atoning work, denying of oneself, fueled by faith in order to suffer for his sake, 
which is because there is faith in who he is. This is faith. It includes denial of self. That's what faith consists of. That's what is the makeup of faith. That is one of the aspects of faith, a trusting in Christ and therefore a denial of trusting in self. His ways, his work, his words, his promises, his kingdom all day long. That's what it looks like. Jesus is not simply saying you must deny sin. He is saying you must deny yourself. Self is not the center, Christ is. So let's look at it. Verse 23, ready? Each part of this. And he, it says he. Again, notice, and he, this is connected to what he said last week. Notice the immediacy of him describing what is required of his followers. If you were to connect that to the passage before, he's saying this is what happen, must happen to the Messiah. I must, be, I must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all of them, And so this is connected. After describing of what must happen to him, his followers must follow in his steps. And if they choose not to, they are not his disciples. Verse 23, again, and he said to all. So let's notice that word all. Not just some disciples, not those who would go on to be pastors, not those who were called into full-time ministry, not only to his superior committed disciples, not the ones who are going to choose to be extreme, but man, that's just not my life. That's just not what I want for my life. They are more extreme than I am. I know how to live more balanced. Uh, there, that doesn't exist here. While the others looked down upon them because they were more extreme and they had to give their lives away and we still got to maintain our lives while still following Jesus. So we've kind of figured out the play here. That, that doesn't exist in this moment. There's no idea here of being more recognized on earth, wealthier, more social, more media followers that causes any type of different following of Jesus. Jesus's value system is upside down. What he values and who he values and who he looks to as great is upside down. The servant one, the, the one who the world mostly would look down upon because of the committed uh, nature of their following of Jesus, Jesus would actually look at them and say, well done. So Jesus's value system is turned upside down. And this is the requirement. This is the picture for anyone at all. He's saying, if anyone, if anyone, he said to all, right? This is for everybody. This is for anyone who would call themselves a disciple of Jesus. And if this is not what your life looks like, then you're not a disciple of Jesus. You're a disciple of the world and you are your own God and Jesus's name may be attached to it, but in some way you are showing that you're not following him by the evidence of your fruit. Because they were in some way here ready to serve him to the ends of the earth. And this is what the requirement would be. In some way, serve him with all that it takes. This is for everyone, not some who claim to follow Jesus. Verse 23, he says it again. If anyone, if anyone, anyone here. So after he just gets done saying, and he said to all, so this is for all of them. He says again, if anyone, rich, poor, famous, CEO, successful, failure, marginalized, oppressed, black, white, all the same. 60 years old, 20 years old, business owner, housewife, religious background, not in church until your 30s. Basically, Jesus is saying here, you're not excused. You're not excused. Your life uniqueness doesn't excuse you from this. So don't think that it does. This is just normal discipleship. Your uniqueness does not excuse you. Despite what you may think, Jesus is saying, this doesn't matter for us to be excused. Jesus 
is our focus. You're making that up in your mind if for some reason there is an excuse, despite what the truth says here in the word. So we can't live how we want. Verse 23, if you then would come after me, he says to all, if anyone, and next he says here, would come after me. The focus here is coming after Jesus. That's the whole point. The whole point is coming after him. Look what he says. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me. This point here is coming after Jesus. That's the focus here, is coming after Jesus. The whole point is coming after him. This is not simply to get into heaven. This is not to have a peaceful Christian life. These are the requirements. This is not if you want his benefits merely. This is how you get him. This is how you get him. This is the point here. If you want me, here's what it looks like. We miss this. This is what he is saying here. If anyone were to come after me, the focus is not even close to the focus of most American Christianity. Is this your focus? Is the question. Is your Christianity saying, Christ, move out of the way and give me victorious and moral principles that I can apply? Don't you know that you have it all wrong? Those are the byproducts. Those are not the essence of Christianity. The only essence of Christianity is knowing Christ. That is the end. He's not a means to an end. He is the end. And if you get him, you have it all. Who cares about the rest? For most, this is the furthest thing from what's true about their Christianity. So let's get through focusing on the Messiah. Let's get through focusing on establishing he's the Christ. Let's get through focusing on his life, his death, his resurrection, his teachings, and improving that he's the son of God. Let's get through all that and let's get to the application for me. That's like saying, let's get through the movie so I can focus on the popcorn. That doesn't make any sense. In this verse, the focus is on the me. Is that the focus of your Christianity? Loving, knowing, savoring, treasuring, trusting, being filled by, beholding Christ. I mean, really, like really, really. If he is not our focus, then our focus is not right. It's then just morality. Good, healthy, and hearty thing for our family to take part in. Thinking, understanding, friendship, love, happiness, discussion, maybe. But Jesus as the hyper focal point or the very reason that I want to be a Christian, no way. That's the, that's the wrong focus then. You can have all of those things and also not have Jesus. You can have all of those things and also not want Jesus. Wanting to get better and wanting to be a good, upstanding citizen is not the same thing as wanting Jesus. He is not saying merely, if you want to be a disciple and follow me, then this is how you follow me. Discipleship is a means to an end, and he is the end. Getting him. By the way, even forgiveness of sin is a means to an end. What's the end? Getting him. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. So you're getting him is the goal. You getting him, that's the goal of Christianity. He's the end. And if that's not your goal, it's not the right Christianity. So in our passage, this is if you want to gain Christ. This is if you want to get him. This is if you want him. Jesus said, if anyone wants to get me, these are the requirements. Because what I'm about to tell you is the essence of saving faith. That is, if anyone wants the Christ, if anyone wants the Messiah, if anyone would even fathom to desire this lowly, unattractive sufferer who is the Son of God, if you want to go after him, him being your focus, that's what eternal life is, then this is what is required. Again, that is what eternal life is, knowing him. Anything other than that is just 
byproduct and extra. John 17, three says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You want the treasure? You want the preeminent one? You want the King of Kings? You want the Lord of Lords? You want him who has all supremacy? If you want him, here's what it looks like at its very essence. If it doesn't look like this, you don't want me. That's what he is saying here. Without saving faith, and that's what is going on. So he says, here's what it really looks like to want me. First, he says, deny yourself. To come after Jesus means denying yourself. Now be careful with this. This means making Jesus superior to everything else. This is what this means, ready? Denying yourself means making Jesus superior to everything else, simply put. But listen closely, because I don't want us to excuse ourselves like we've got this figured out, like we've heard this before. Okay? I, I know this is common phrase, making Jesus superior to everything else. But listen, this means making the person of Jesus superior to everything else. Let me clarify. What Jesus doesn't mean here when he says, deny yourself. If anyone were to come after me, we focused on all of that, let him deny himself. Listen, what Jesus doesn't mean here is asceticism. That's not what he means which is defined as, what is asceticism? It's defined as a lifestyle characterized by abstinence from sensual pleasures. That's not what Jesus means. Asceticism is not what Jesus means here. Jesus can't mean denying yourself of candy gets you God. Denying yourself of pleasure gets you God because denying yourself of candy doesn't get you God. Denying yourself of pleasure doesn't get you God. Denying yourself of sex doesn't get you God. Denying yourself of technology, fun, joy, movies doesn't get you to God. That's just morality and still trying to do what the Jews are doing, which is earn their own salvation. In fact, there are entire religions made out of asceticism, that this is the way in which we earn our right standing before God by denying ourselves. Asceticism doesn't save anybody. So Jesus is not saying if you live a miserable life of denying yourself merely that you gain me. On top of that, there is no true self-denial. True self-denial does not exist, period. So on top of that, True self-denial doesn't exist. So what does that mean? Well, if you're denying yourself of anything, it's because you think that by denying yourself, it's for what you think is best interest, in your best interest, or something that you desire or someone else desires. So you can't escape this. If you deny yourself, it's for the purpose of benefiting in some way. You can't escape it. We're wired this way. It's like the law of gravity. You can't do anything that you don't have a motive for for some desired outcome. You say, well, what if I do something for somebody else? Then what you are doing for somebody else, even if that means in some way hurting yourself, is because you believe it will give you what you actually want, which is the benefit of somebody else. There are religions like this. Don't make this up. There are religions that if you hurt yourself enough or you deny yourself enough, that in some way you will gain God because you feel like you're doing something to get or achieve something before God. If you run into the middle of the street to prove that, listen, look, I can deny myself fully. So I'm gonna run into the middle of the street. Then what you're doing by running into the middle of the street is trying to prove your desired outcome, which is that you must be able to prove that you can fully deny yourself, which again is your end goal. So it's intrinsically impossible for us to fully, truly deny ourselves. True self-denial doesn't exist. So then if this is impossible to do, what does Jesus mean? It means deny yourself to follow Jesus. That's how this passage is structured. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and in place of that, follow Jesus. Simply put, it means he is superior. God doesn't promote miserable asceticism as Christianity. 
Merely asceticism doesn't glorify God. It doesn't make God look superior. It doesn't make God look all satisfying. It makes Christianity about us and our achievements of morality and self-denial as a means to earn grace. God looks like this for us and therefore we go after him. That's what it means to pursue this pleasure, that he is superior. Your God is greater and therefore gloom and misery of religion doesn't earn our right standing before God and we are wired to pursue what is superior. Therefore, there is no true self-denial. Whatever we pursue, we are pursuing because of the outcome that it offers, even in trying to deny ourselves. Therefore, we must put God at the end of our pursuits, which then denies everything else except for him. He is superior. This doesn't promote our efforts. This does not promote our wills, that he is somehow pleased with our strength. Instead, it promotes pursuing a superior pleasure, which is Christ himself. It's a denial of self because you get something infinitely more satisfying, namely Christ himself. Asceticism is not Christianity. And if we talk like this without clarifying, we promote Christianity as only a moral religion that's only concerned with our actions and earning salvation through our denial of pleasure. By itself, it can be completely void of God and have nothing to do with the gospel. And you can't promote a great God through focusing on our works alone. So giving up of our life to get God as the superior pleasure, that's Christianity. Jesus is saying, you give up your life as lesser and you make me superior, which I am. That's what it looks like to come after me. You are still pursuing your greatest good, which is God, because that's what you're wired to do. You get the greatest possible outcome, which is him. But in that, you are denying all lesser pleasures or lesser pursuits. We are wired to pursue our Christianity in pursuing a superior pleasure. Even if we were to go further in this passage, which we're gonna discuss next week, verse 24, if you're losing your life for his sake, let's read this, ready? Verse 24, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. If you're losing your life for his sake, this might look like This is true self-denial, but listen, if you're losing your life for his sake in that verse, it's for the purpose of saving it. You're losing your life for the purpose of saving it. That's not true self-denial. That's not ultimate self-denial. It's forcing a ranking here that he is superior. John 3.30 says this, he must increase but I must decrease. That's the idea here. I'm denying myself and he is increasing in his superiority in my life. Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. This is self-denial for a superior pleasure. That's why when this man sells everything and all that he has, it's in his joy that he gives away everything. Self-denial is in a joyful pursuit because he is getting back a superior pleasure, which is to have the field, which the only real purpose is because of the treasure that it contains. And in this passage, the superior pleasure and treasure is Christ and his reign and his rule. Christ is a treasure. Ephesians 4 talks about this, putting off and putting on. We put off self because we put on something greater. Put off your old self, Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. We put off ourselves only to put on Christ. We're hardwired to pursue what we most value. That's why we talk about treasuring Christ, because if you treasure Christ as superior, then your actions will follow. In the term follow, 
Me, the focus on the follow will never produce the love for the me, but the focus on the me will always produce the pursuit of the follow because you will pursue what you most desire. And any way you slice it, that's what we've done our whole lives and what we'll continue to do. We pursue our superior pleasure. So we make him greater in our lives We deny ourselves by making Jesus superior to everything else. And that makes him look great to the world. Then it glorifies God because as we give up everything and we pursue Jesus superior to everything else, this is what it looks like for you to show the world God's infinite worth. As you look at the fact that you're forgiven, you realize that your life is full of sin, and you, and you ask God for forgiveness, not for, the, uh, for only pain-free skin for all of eternity, but to get God back. And then you live with him as your superior treasure. The world sees him as greater than everything else. This is what it means to come after him. That's why John Piper's phrase of Christian hedonism that he's coined, which is God is most glorified in us, when we are most satisfied in him, that's why this works because it's biblical. Because when he becomes your superior pleasure, when he becomes superior to you, he is made to look great to the world, which he is. Glorifying him means making his worth visible. Aestheticism isn't Christianity, but coming after him means he is your superior treasure. He is superior in your life. And this is what it means to be a Christian. Philippians 3, Paul gives us an example of this. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Everything else is loss because there is something that is of surpassing worth, which is knowing Christ Jesus. He is superior for his sake, because I want him. I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain something that is superior, which is what? Christ himself, the person. If anyone would come after me, remember? That I might know him. That's the goal here. That's his only goal. And the power of his resurrection may share in his sufferings, which is what it means to follow Jesus. This is the cost of discipleship that we're establishing, becoming like him in his death, that by any means necessary, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. In this context of our passage that we're in today, Jesus must be superior to safety, to protection against suffering, to protection against rejection, to protection against death. He is saying this because coming after him will include following in who the Christ is and what the Christ must do. Remember what he just got done talking about in our passage. What the Christ must do is suffer, be rejected, and die. To follow him, you're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to give up wanting to protect your life for a superior pleasure, which is getting me. In light of what he must suffer, if anyone would come after him, he's going to have to deny the desire to save his own life. The desire to avoid rejection at any cost. The desire to avoid death at any cost. You will die to that because he is superior. That's the only true way to come after him because that's where he is going and therefore that's where his disciples will be following him to. It's going to take you not looking out for yourself, but making Jesus and his kingdom superior. That's why missionaries to unreached people groups are willing to go and die to advance the gospel because Christ is superior That's what's most important to them. Him and his gospel being known among the nations. And that's why most of us are unwilling to do so because Christ isn't superior. My life is. And that's why I'm not willing to serve in inconvenient ways because Christ and his kingdom isn't superior. My life and my schedule and my job are. Having Christ as your treasure 
This is what salvation means. And it's the only thing that will cause you to evangelize, disciple, give away your money, your time, live a radical and biblically normal. Biblically normal is radical for us. Life of risk-taking, gospel-sharing, servant-like obedience. It will be the only thing that lets us to be persecuted with joy. And it's the only thing that will cause you to follow Christ into suffering to advance the gospel. He knows this. Jesus knows this here. That's why he's saying, I must suffer. If you're going to follow me into this, I must become superior and you must deny yourself. That's the point here. He said to all, if anyone would come after me, you know where I'm going. Let him deny himself the desire for protection that he already assumes is true of every single person and follow me. This is what's going to have to happen. Life-taking, life-giving, risk-taking, gospel-sharing, servant-like obedience will only come when Jesus is your treasure. He's saying, my road is to suffer. And if anyone would come after me, he's going to have to deny himself. So the question is, is this what your Christianity looks like? Is this what you have defined Christianity as? Is this your following of Jesus? Is he superior to everything else? And therefore you're willing to deny self, to follow him mainly into suffering in order to know him and to get him so his gospel advances. advances. This is the right way to go. He's assuming that self is going to want to protect self, which is right. He's right in that. And this is going to take a superior pleasure to follow him into suffering, which brings us to point number two. Briefly, we've done a lot of the work already, which is the biblical perspective of coming after Jesus also involves taking up your cross daily. He's overlapping ideas in a lot of ways. It first involves denying yourself, and then it involves taking up your cross daily. This is his first definition, by the way, of what it means to follow him in the book of Luke. This is how he initiates the idea of following and coming after him. This is the first time he's establishing it of what it looks like to come after him. He's, he's established who he is. He's established what his followers must do in regards of sharing the gospel. He's establishing now for the first time what his disciples must do in order to follow him. Verse 23 says, and he said to all, we've covered that. If anyone would come after me, we've covered that. Let him deny himself, we've covered that. And now, and take up his cross daily. He's saying the same thing here, essentially. The disciples know what a cross is. They know what that means. It's an instrument of death for criminals. On Good Friday, a couple of years ago, I gave details of asphyxiation, which is how you die on a cross, which is the most agonizing of all deaths, which is why it was used effectively. Jesus is saying here, if you're going to get me, it involves taking up your own cross daily. That's how he decides to define this. If he was gonna give any first words about the cost of what it looks like to follow him, this is his choice of words. Take up your cross daily and follow me. As I'm going to take up mine, because this is who I am as the Christ, this is what I must do, this is what it will also mean to come after me, to follow me. It will mean death, literally for some, which is foreign to us, but it wasn't for the apostles, the original disciples. It's not foreign to missionaries to unreached and unengaged people groups around the world. But most basically, taking up our cross will mean giving up of our lives for him. Giving up our lives, the pursuit of the goals of our lives for his main goal, which is knowing him and making him known at all times, 24 hours a day, every single day of my life, for the rest of my life. My entire life is consumed with him and getting his gospel to go forward. All of it, all of my time, my money, my resources, my giftings, everything is for that purpose. This is what he means by that. 
This wasn't just for the apostles or the original disciples. This is for everybody. Most basically, this is what it means. Here's how he says it in Luke chapter 14, because we're going to come upon this multiple times now. Luke 14, 27 says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That's what he literally says here. So if anyone does not surrender their life for Christ, this is not saving, treasuring, trusting faith. It's using Christ to serve my life. This is what happens in salvation. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, right? That's the crucifixion that we take on when we are saved. We realize that we're sinners. We turn away from wanting to live like that anymore. Therefore, we've died because we've repented. And now we have a new life in Christ. And this knife I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live, here's, look at this. This is a cross, taking up a cross daily. Who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Romans 6, 4. We were buried with him, therefore in death. We were buried, therefore, with him. Romans 6, 8, now if we have died with Christ. So this is what happens in salvation. We give up our lives. Our eyes are open to our sins, our needing of forgiveness. We repent from living for our sins and for ourselves. We receive his forgiveness for our sins. We turn and live for him. We recognize and we repent from self. Blinders are taken off. Get all of my sins and all of the forgiveness out of the way. I'm dead. It's gone because I've realized that this is not the right direction anymore. I want Christ. And then the Bible says we put on him and his righteousness, and then we follow him. So Christ is also saying, though, this is what it must look like daily. So this is what it will look like daily. The cost of discipleship is we show our salvation as we work it out for the rest of our lives. He's saying here, if you are going to come after me, this is what salvation looks like. We understand the death in Christ when we trust in Jesus, but he is talking about a whole life. We can't get away with praying a prayer and then living unlike the Bible describes as disciples of Jesus. He is saying here in verse 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. But then he adds here daily. Daily, daily making him superior, following his ways, not our own. What it will mean for true saving faith in coming after him is to die daily. That's what Paul says. First Corinthians 15, 31 says, I die every day. That's what Paul says. Willing to die to self every day, to follow him. He's superior his mission is superior. His words, his causes, his kingdom, evangelizing, discipling, showing him to be great, glorifying him, giving everything of my life for him because he is superior to me, for me, every single day. That's what I live for. So if this seems extreme, this is not extreme. This is just normal. This is what Christ calls of his discipleship. These are his words. And again, he's going to do this again. If we look at the whole passage of Luke 14, let's just read what that says. Ready? Now great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and he said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish, saying here, 
you, you need to understand what it looks like to truly follow me before you make the initial decision. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Again, in this passage, Jesus is forcing a ranking. I must become superior to everything. And that will play itself out in how you live your life and what you live it for. Again, in this passage, in light of what he must do, in light of who he is, and what will it mean for his life as the Messiah, as the Christ, and what it doesn't mean, then here he's saying this is what it means to come after him. It doesn't mean him serving Israel's best life now. With him as the earthly king that will give them this power, it means making him superior. It means denying personal self-interest and therefore following him, especially into suffering for his kingdom. That is a normative call for the believer. Following him, he is superior. Deny self, he's greater. Die to myself in the pursuit of my life to have him and to pursue his kingdom. When you wake up each morning, it should be said, okay, Lord, my, not my will, but your will be done. And that's what my day is going to be dedicated to. That's what this day will be dedicated to. Every part of this life right now, today, will be dedicated to your kingdom going forward, to knowing you and to making you known. Every day, that's the def definition we see here in the Bible. Him as the focus, his word in our hearts, prayer on our lips, love for, the, uh, for others, evangelism, discipleship, suffering to advance the gospel because that's the main priority. So the biblical perspective of coming after Jesus involves following him thirdly. That's what we see, denying him. It involves dying to ourselves, taking up our cross, and it involves following him. That's the positive that replaces the two negatives. So here, this is his train of thought as we close. He want, but I want to make this a particular focus. This is a positive that replaces the negative, but we should focus on it briefly. He said to all, if anyone would come after me, here's what he must do. Deny himself, that's the negative here. Take up his cross, that's the negative here, because you are dying to yourself daily. And then in place of those things, follow me or pursue me, make me superior. So here he says we must follow him. What does that mean? It means that he's superior. Our allegiance belongs to him. Our focus is on him. We go where he goes. We value what he values. Our, his kingdom is our focus. We stick with him. We let our lives be dedicated to him, defined by his word. Glory to God, suffering to save, suffering to love, suffering to treasure. Him, him, him. Again, the focus here, follow me. If anyone would come after me, he must follow me. He must stick with me. We must, church, gain a biblical perspective in what it looks like and what it means to follow Jesus. In many ways, we've made up our own way. Jesus is saying, this is not about me becoming an earthly king or ease. I must suffer for the sake of the salvation of souls and the glory of God. And this is how my gospel will advance. And this is how you will know me and come after me by denying yourself and making me superior, by dying to yourself. Every day, my purpose is the purpose of your life. And by following me, sticking with me wherever I go for my kingdom, for the salvation of others, for the holiness of the world. So that is what it, that's what it looks like. Let me ask you, if you claim to currently be coming after Jesus, is this what it looks like for your life? Is this what it means to you? That he is superior. Please ask yourself honestly that he is superior. Is this what Christianity means to you? Is this what it means to, to, to you, the biblical perspective of coming after Jesus? 
He is superior. Everything else is inferior. You die every day to your own purposes and you follow him, stick with him in all of the ways he calls us to in his word. I pray that you, that you, we as a church would gain a biblical perspective of what it means to come after Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to gain this biblical perspective because we want radical Christians who make the gospel known to the ends of the earth. No time to mess around. People need to be saved. Your glory needs to be seen. And we're only here for a very short time. It is pointless for us to mess around with trinkets and for us to pursue temporary things, which if we're honest is only really for our own safety and because we're afraid and for our own good. We need to forsake that. And we need to pursue what really matters, which is knowing you as a superior treasure and making you known to the ends of the earth that others may know you too. Help us to follow you in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.